0: Hey j crew this is the last episode before the wedding of the century and we're all we're purifying now right purifying mm-hmm. our we're mouths past- our bodies purifying. and uh, we're not just cleansing we're, we're like ethnic cleansing uh, so, so we're not going to swear but we can't we can't speak for our guests so uh so that's your obscenity one
1: Mark I learned so much from you
0: you wait till my toast wait till you learn the- am <laughs> I allowed to give a toast no.
1: no. <laughs> Really? Yes. You don't just like get up at weddings me? and give a toast. We have a very strict You know, schedule. actually,
0: that's the way toasts really work, if is like people Qua- who love the people.
1: At a Quaker wedding?
0: <laughs> I'm giving a toast. Chew on that, But now. this is something. You can start thinking that, about that between now and Saturday night. That's actually now <laughs> God.
1: Deep breaths. Excuse me. Can I have this paper bag?
0: Hello, J. Crew. This is Unorthodox, the world's leading Jewish podcast. I'm your host, Mark Oppenheimer. Just back from tuxedo shopping for the big wedding. I'm joined as ever by the still single tablet deputy editor, Stephanie Botnick.
1: Hi. What was me still single? This, still. <laughs> this is
0: this is everyone's cha- like our listeners with who are crushing on Stephanie. You have if you're listening on Thursday. You have, you have two days. Literally two days. You have two days to make your case. And uh, still married, tablet senior writer, Liel Leibowitz. Simon muzzle Yes. Our Jew of the Week is Brooke Kroger, who has a new book out about the men who helped women gain the vote. And our Gentile of the Week, a real Gentile, is Torsten Wagner, the Dane who runs uh, a program that brings scholars to outfits to but, study. But
1: pretty Jewish, too. Wife and kids. Married like he, to Jew. Yeah. Like he, yeah. He, he, he toes the line.
0: But when your name is Torsten Wagner.
1: Oh, yeah. No. He's I mean, when that's you in Auschwitz. Dental.
0: You're sort of like, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. When the you're
1: honorary? working in Auschwitz
2: nowadays, not some years ago, <laughs> that is a totally different idea. But right and now. Like,
0: people who only knew Auschwitz <laughs> in its heyday of the mid 40s <laughs> right. come back and like, whoa, it's become a <laughs> it's really like, Jewish place to work. It's like the, the, the New York Discus. He's like, ah, you haven't been to Studio
2: 54. Like, yeah, no, it's a different scene.
0: <laughs> um, so what's up? What, uh, I mean, so I'll what's begin not with up? We probably haven't... the
2: most important news of of the week of any week of any week, full which week is that I um, I fit into my my wedding tuxedo, which I was I was very nervous about. Uh, you know, trying out for you're for, literally for your wedding. personal wedding. Tuxedo. My the, the tuxedo I got married in uh, about eighty six years ago uh, is the one I shall be wearing for your wedding, and it gives me. Because uh, I own several, of course, because you know we're not peasants, as <laughs> Jack Donaghy likes to say on Thirty Rock, uh, and and I really wanted to wear this one because your wedding is very special to me, uh,
0: and it's a special Good. tuxedo, and a, I
2: fit into it. Is That's it a amazing. shawl
0: collar? Is it a? Uh, it's, it's. I see you in a, wrist a ring-a-ding shawl it's, collar. It's, it's très chic. Is it? Um, I it comes with a paisley. Uh, like were you vota. really
1: t- t- uh, tux shopping? The only
0: no. The only tuxedo I've ever owned was the one that I I, I bought one for my prom. Because that is I so felt
1: Mark Oppenheimer. <laughs> because
0: I didn't rent. I felt like, who are these peasants who rent? And um, I went to Joseph Bank. and I Jose, had Bank. Uh, Jose, Jose Bank? Jose Bank. Jose Bank. And uh, in Boston on Newbury Street. And I think-, I think Oh, wow. And well, you, when, you're, when you're from Springfield, Massachusetts, you travel for your shopping. And um, And I had my own, you know, I'd worked summers. I had a few, you know, two or three thousand saved up to my name. And I spent 300 of it on my own, very own- Tuxedoing. That is really the most Oppenheimer.
2: I mean, in that's really respectful
1: of the prom institution. Yeah, right. I respected senior promenade as an institution. Because I, I,
2: I would spend it on drugs. Yeah. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> Guys, is now no the doubt. time
1: to admit that I went to a lot of proms? Do you want to know my number? Seven.
0: Like
2: Roslyn, Great Neck
1: South. I was Great Neck Great... North, Great Neck South, pretty much all in Great Neck.
0: Massapequa. I went to one
1: when I was in college for, with a friend. You did? It was very awkward.
0: I went to two. My sophomore year, I went with Claire McGoran to her senior prom. My high school only had a senior prom. And Claire, who was lovely. Lovely, (laughs) Where is she now? I think, well, I'm not going to say I didn't Google her because one Googles these things if one is me. Uh, I believe that she is a doctor in the greater Springfield area. Uh, are
1: you facebook friends
0: no no she's she has almost so my exes tend to have no social media presence interesting fact about my exes like
1: they're like um, i don't want him to contact me so badly like i will give up facebook of
0: of the sort of like five or six people who (laughs) i think about in in fond ex terms from the ages of like 15 to 25 between the hours of 10 and 12 p.m (laughs) Um, when the kids go to sleep when the kids are asleep like of the five or six most important like Four of them are basically non existent on Facebook. You have to do deep, deep Google work uh, to, to find them. Um,
1: you know, you could just block a specific person on Facebook. Right?
0: Do you think that's what's going on? But you can't block them on Google. I mean, go ahead. <laughs> like the, the length they've gone oh, to to stay away Claire, from me. Claire, Claire might have figured out a way. So, no, but the tux I bought was not for that. I rented a tux for that, it was for my own senior. So, mom. Mark, who will you be wearing for Stephanie's wedding? So, I will be wearing uh, Jacrew. I'll be wearing Jacrew. <laughs> uh, I'll be wearing my midnight uh, blue uh, linen two-piece uh, suit that I bought at the, the liquor shop mm-hmm. down in uh, Soho or wherever it is. Um, I think it was for my brother Dan's wedding, summer wedding.
1: So you're saying you're not uh, wearing a tux so to, it's, to it's my black tie right. wedding.
0: I, but with a little, with its little, with my little blue foulard bow tie, it will look tux-ish.
1: No, 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 So the only reason, have I said this, that the only reason it's black tie and not black tie optional is because black tie like, distinctly inconveniences men. Because for women, there's Thanks. no difference. Women, you can wear short right. for black tie, you can wear long, but black tie you got to wear that tux. So my stand and to me, is, that's like taking it back.
0: And my stand is, fuck you, I'm not wearing a tux head. Like, I'm not going to be a And mine is, t-
1: I'm so excited can to be I with you on my wedding day. Black tie <laughs>
0: optional is a travesty. Just commit or don't.
1: Well, it's like right, a Rorschach test of I who agree. you are just, as a that's person. That's exactly
2: right. If you're the kind of person who's up in a midnight blue linen, like
0: people are just going to walk up to you and be like, yeah. can okay. I have another Sauvignon Blanc? I mean, were it uh, cooler out, I would wear what I wore to my wedding. Which was a traditional three piece Donegal Harris tweed suit from uh, that I oh, that I ogled in J. Press. It's like the twelve hundred dollar. It's tweed that's so heavy, like Basically, it's the shooting suit. It's like you you hunt for grouse in the Scottish Highlands with it. And I for years would look at it in J. Press and think, who owns that? And it has like the extra pockets on it. It's very uh, Downton Abbey, and I was like, that, you know who's going to own that? Me for my wedding, uh, and
1: I wore. We're learning so much about and you. And I wore right it now. with a
0: little tweed cap that my late grandpa Walter used to wear,
1: like down the aisle in the cap. Yeah, yeah, like my, that- my
0: yarmulke was not a yarmulke, but a little tweed. I cap. I love that his fantasy life sort of grabbed days <laughs> being like J Crew <laughs> and J Press, like that, at J Bank. J. <laughs> J. Bank. <laughs> that's,
2: that's the range. It's amazing. Oh, wow. um,
0: all right, so your big news is what you're wearing to Stephanie's wedding. Your big news is. Your wedding? <laughs> yeah, I'm wearing,
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, I'm wearing, yeah, I'm wearing, well, the, the good thing is, like, I have permission to wear white after Labor Day. I'm wearing white all weekend. All week. Do you have any nerves at all?
0: Wait, wait, um, let's, oh. and I want to be very specific. You're sure Ben's the right guy. Like, oh, are yeah. you 100% yeah, that, sure I mean, or are you 98% sure?
1: That's the easiest part of this. Right. We were just like, like, even, at, like, after a week, we we're like, oh, yeah, this is on. Like, we're doing this. After a um, week of dating? Yeah, because there had been, like, a lot of build, like, we had been friends for a long time. I had sort of, like, not exactly strung him along, but it took me, like, I was longer. I was about um, to say, if I may, he, ben, ben, um, Ben was playing the long game. Ben put in time. Yeah.
0: Right. Because you knew, I didn't know Stephanie when that he Single's put in Single staff. Yeah. yeah.
1: She was a monster. Just kidding. Um, no, I think we, we we had a really strong friendship. And then basically he was just like waiting for me for it to click. And because I'm like notoriously slow on the uptake. Um, and then it did. And then I'm, I'm sure
2: wrote. one or two or five people will mention oh my at God, certain yeah. speeches at your
1: wedding. But yeah. Um. So yeah. So that's, that's not the. Po- I mean, I imagine these things are much more stressful if you have those concerns. Yeah.
0: You seem. Really chill, like there are no stress lines on your on well, the, I do fi- have the like face a wrinkle. that is that as Jill Cargman says Looks is like a fetus smooth as a fetus, yeah,
1: I'm not stressed.
0: No, you don't know, seem stressed.
1: I'm, I'm like, I'm excited. I'm trying to turn, like, channel that into excitement as it's, opposed to nerves. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah it's gonna be That'd fun. Be so much fun. Yeah. Also, there's so many like fun details that he and I like the and I picked out that are just gonna be like very fun to see. And you know I probably won't even notice. I him.
2: plan to not remember a single one of them. I hope so. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk in, be like, three martinis, please, and that. Yeah, would be yeah. I'm so the there evening. with you.
0: Uh, All right, so a little news of the other
2: Jews, Jews of the less significant Jews. What are we going to
1: talk about? I mean, it's good that I'm not going to be here next week because, like, I'm not going to have anything to talk about.
0: When you get back from your honeymoon, we're immediately going to start talking about your future kids. That's all we're going to talk about until you're pregnant. My future cats? Yeah, right. Okay. And that too. And that too. Uh, Shelly Berman died. He was a great, very innovative comic in the, you know, they, they talk about him as... Up there with Mort Saul and Lenny Bruce as one of the people who made comedy, the the kind of um, interesting, sophisticated, who took it beyond the Henny Youngman one-liners. God love Henny Youngman. He died. He also played Larry David's father on Curb he Your did. Enthusiasm. Um, in News of the Pseudo Jewish, Walter Becker of Steely Dan died. He was the, the non Jewish half. Uh, are Donald
1: these just Fagan. obits you're reading?
0: Well, I'm starting with the obits. I, I have to say, I was a huge Steely Dan
2: Which, fan. Which, by the way, I'm sorry, It's the most. Like, my mother, the first thing she reads in a newspaper, she has a specific tone. She calls me, Do you know who died?
1: That's how I read, like, the wedding section. <laughs> That's right.
0: <laughs> Do those are, you know who is dead to me now? And those who are my first two guy. sections, obits and weddings. I mean, really, there should be births.
3: That's they, the only news that matters. To, yeah.
0: Anyway, Walter, Walter Becker of Steely Dan um, should, the have world, been Jewish. should have been Jewish. Was kind of Jewish in his. Was very Jewish in his in his soul. Right. Um, the world is divided into people who really get Steely Dan and people who are wrong and people who loathe the. Ste- it's like like the dead. There's like you get them or you don't.
1: I think my dad is we're pro Steely Dan. I'm sure. Of course.
0: You're d- oh There's Howard no is no other way. yeah Howard is pro Steely Dan. You only have to take oh, one wait. look at him.
1: Who is the guy that's in Steely Dan?
0: Donald Fagan and Walter, Walter Becker Backer.
1: okay never mind but I'm Walter Becker ain't I in was it was anymore
0: because he just died
1: okay so it's just Dan
0: <laughs> they aren't named Steele so, <laughs> Leo you know what Steely Dan is right 100% it's a no wait it's a 100%. dildo, 100%. Wait, dildo what? in from Naked Lunch from Naked I was like is it That's from Couch 22 it. nope. it, it's from Naked Lunch just it's William right. S.P.R.S. all right and after a dildo in, in uh, more upbeat news hear we, that but Marcus <laughs> I, <laughs> I wonder if she knows that. In more upbeat news, the Jews, a New Jersey widow, a a Jewish widow, donated $22 million to a German zoo in memory of her Jewish Uh, husband.
1: uh, It was actually unclear if she was Jewish because in the headline it said her Jewish husband.
0: How oh, interesting.
1: And so she was part of the German resistance. It's a kind of a beautiful story. Um, it's very zookeeper's wife. He like-
0: dies and she donates $22 million to and the zoo.
2: And
1: then Matt Damon buys the <laughs> zoo. <laughs> That's right.
0: You guys have lost me. Okay. Um, two Jews in England have celebrated their 83rd wedding anniversary. This story is amazing. Helen and Maurice Kay, ages 104 and 105, celebrated their anniversary last week, surrounded by their family at home in Bournemouth. Um, so they married they, – they got to 83 years of marriage – they didn't marry at 12, like they were in their <laughs> 20s, but then they lived to be, and still counting, 104 and 105, which means- I feel
1: like for all my bragging about my wedding, I'm like, it's like, pipe down. Yeah. These people have been married forever. I would yeah.
0: like these guys to call
2: your grandpa Al and give <laughs> him marriage advice, because he's only been married for like 60 years, <laughs> They're going on like 83,
0: giving their kid. Anyway, they've been married a long, long, for bringing a long time. Good and, for them. Yeah, Mazel Tov to them. And finally, in news of the Jews, well, not finally, I want the penultimate story to be the chicken story, which you have to deliver, Leo. I am, I'm, on the, I'm on the chicken beat, as you yeah. know. So this is one of
2: those amazing stories I think I've ever heard. Uh, there was a group of really, really Orthodox uh, Jews in Jerusalem who decided that since uh, people now did things to chickens... That came out wrong. Since people now (laughs) genetically engineer chickens to be, you know, moistier and juicier and, like, larger, uh, then halachically speaking, uh, it's no longer a chicken. A chicken is no longer a chicken since it's been genetically engineered. And so if it's no longer a chicken, it's
0: no longer kosher. So what do they do, Mark? Uh, They travel the world searching for original chickens that they know are kosher they travel the world looking for heirloom heirloom chickens
1: so basically like the aurochs of chickens that's exactly that's exactly what the nazis did try to find like the purest form right just just throwing that out there form
2: of (laughs) genetically pure racially superior chosen chicken uh and they found one uh called the brackle (laughs) <laughs> das brackel. Where was it? In Belgium, of course. Okay. You know, the 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 capital of of uh, child rape uh, of Europe. Uh and we're so, back on that. Wow. Yeah. And so they brought the brackle back to Israel and they started selling this chicken, and everyone was very excited. Until How do you it, say
1: brackle in Hebrew? Uh,
2: brackle. I think they actually Hebraized it to Barkol, oh which is owner <laughs> of a voice. It's it's a whole thing, is literally like oh my god. Too, oh my god. So then a different group of rabbis said, wait a minute, since the Torah doesn't specify what exactly makes fowl kosher, that's like one of these weird categories, really the only way to know if a chicken is kosher or not, because there are all kinds of rabbinic specifications and halachic things that the chicken needs to be, uh, the only way to really know if a chicken is kosher is to have observed this bird in its natural habitat for generations, which is why, for example, when Turkey was originally introduced in the New World, there's like questions about whether or not it was kosher. And since the brakel, is a brand new chicken. Uh, the other group of rabbis said, "We're well, really sorry, the brackle not kosher." And Yet. so, World War Six broke out between the pro-brackle. It's like the Brexit. It's like pro-brackle and anti-brackle. And rabbis in Jerusalem, as we speak, are doing things like getting live birds on their kitchen tables to like observe their
0: behavior <laughs> to see if see, they look chickeny, to see if they look kosher enough
2: for. So, what are they
1: Jerusalem? looking for? Like, if it walks like a chicken. Well, the
0: main thing here. They want to see if it crosses the road. <laughs>
1: And what came first? Th- that's <laughs>
2: what they're looking for. The main thing they're looking for actually is there's this thing about the chicken being a dolis, which means that if you throw the chicken
1: No, some
2: no, food, no, 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 Listen no, to this. No. Does the chicken pick it up with its talents mid flight or not? Like not mid-flight. Wait, if you, sorry,
1: play. if you're not throwing the chicken. No, no. If you throw a bit of food oh, on at the At the chicken.
2: At the chicken, would the chicken sort of like like lunge at it and pick it up with its with its feet? Uh or would it peacefully peck at it? If what's, it's number two, you chicken. got yourself a kosher chicken. The first if one, you got a hawk. it's number one, it's a It's, a, a, it's, a, it's a bald eagle. Yep. You, better <laughs> you better not kill do it. Do not eat that beast because it will eat you. That's the
1: logic behind it. It's amazing. So is it like a case-by-case basis? Like they get a brackle on yep. their table and then they're like, okay, That's he's exactly kosher. And doing. then the, the bird's you know, like, wait, what the, happens now?
2: So the, they're getting the brackle on the table
0: and like they throw food at this meanwhile, chicken. Meanwhile, like I'm very confused now. Meanwhile, there's a huge boon to all the opposition parties since the price of chicken has quintupled in the past year. Like... Labor is going to run on, we're going to bring back the... Bring back the chicken. The the original chicken. Make Israel chicken
1: chicken again. (laughs) Make Israel foul again. What?
0: Shocking that you chose to move here, Leal. Just shocking. Now, finally, in news of the Jews, Jewish Voice for Peace, the... I would say anti-Israel. Would that be a fair thing to say? Anti-Israel. An- Anti-Semitic terrorists right. uh, supporting. They are, they are a, a left-wing group. We had their um, director, uh, Rebecca Vilkomerson in on one of our earlier shows. You can go listen. It was a good interview. Uh, they are in favor of the uh, boycott, divest, and sanction movement. And they have now, as a their latest kind of campaign, uh, they're telling teens not to go on the birthright trip, which many of you will know is the free trip to Israel offered to basically anyone between the ages of 18 and 26 uh, who has not been on an organized educational trip. Can like Israel prove that
1: before. they're one eighth Jewish at least?
0: We're not even prove, just attest to it, oh, yeah. right. And you've been on it, Stephanie. I've been on it. My brother has been on it. My sister's been on it. My I've wife been on
2: it for the first twenty three years the, of my life. But lived everyone, to, my wife really has been on a it. lot of people.
0: Hundreds of thousands of Jews yeah. have taken this free trip to Israel, and in fact, it's become a model. They now talk about birthright tourism or, or ethnically oriented. There's like an heritage ir- a program trips. in Ireland. It's program in Ireland. Yeah. I knew someone who's trying to start one for uh, West Africa for people who are the descendants wow. of slaves to go back and see. So it's a model that's actually we tablet ran a story about the Irish. Yeah. Rip off. And you know who That's else? That's how I know about it. was right. a birthright. Who's that?
2: Our very own
0: Noah Levinson. He's back. back. Our editor, Noah Levinson, is back. to be back. It's he now is... pronounced Noah. Noah is, is, is wearing a t shirt that says, uh, very, very nice t shirt that says,
2: Leo. That says, the leftists are back. It's irony. <laughs> is
0: that what it says? Yes. Yeah. 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 So, um,
1: but can so, we talk wait, about Noah's tan before we get into wait, anything important? I
0: hold that yeah. thought on his tan. So, their new campaign is under the hashtag. Um, hashtag return the birthright, and they're saying you're you're supporting the Israeli state by buying into their by going on. Don't take their free trip, basically,
1: because it supports the right of return for Jewish people, right. but not for Palestinians. It's telling Jews,
0: don't take this bargain.
1: They have to offer something besides a hashtag. Like they're going to be like, don't go on this free trip to Israel. Instead, <laughs> right, right. do what? Like
0: you could hang with Rasmia
1: Odeh and hear about how she blew up a supermarket and killed two Jews. I just feel like for the whole like it's a free trip. I don't want to anyone I, like. Whatever. I'm going to take the centrist no, yeah. position
0: here and say that if they want to keep people off birthright, offer them a trip to Hawaii instead. Like, offer them a trip to someplace better. Everyone will take. But just that. not
1: next week because I'll be
4: yeah, there. Yeah, but they're not about making people
0: happy. They're just about being sour.
1: So, so Noah, my, you came uh, back.
4: My my advice, Noah.
0: Noah Levinson.
2: That birthright birthright. glow. If yeah.
4: you, if you are uh, like a BDS Jew and you support the Palestinian state, uh, why would you not want to milk Uncle Sheldon dry? Like, why would you... See?
1: But they're saying uh, it's see? not enough that's, to be critical.
4: That's the cop here.
1: <laughs> they're saying I it's not enough to take
4: money to out of the coffers of like, the Israeli Shelley. occupiers. Yeah. <laughs> I'm staying the extra week.
2: Exactly. Can I please have a sweet at the Dan?
1: So do you feel like you saw the whitewashed version of Israel on
4: birthright? Mm, yeah, maybe. Yes.
1: But do you feel like you were uh, but, eyes open enough to understand that that's I what mean, it was? I mean, I...
4: Yeah, I mean, I think actually they try like to their credit. I, I really think that the so my group is sponsored by the Orthodox Union. And our guides, you know, when the conversation would get political, they would really go to lengths to say, we are giving you the pro Israel perspective. We know that and you should know that. And there are people who think we're ruthless occupiers, and you should even go talk to them. And I did. Like, I spent my last week in the just West after Bank. after the trip. And then after
2: they were the like, trip. this is a kosher McDonald. There is no other kind of <laughs> McDonald in Israel, okay?
1: So you feel like you were encouraged to just, like, have an open mind.
4: Like, you were saying the other week how you're, like, Donald Trump, you listen to the last person yeah. who talked to you. So, like, after 10 days of birthright, I was, you know, Liel. and like you started a settlement I'm very happy to hear that and then now after a week in the West Bank I'm thinking about joining Hamas and uh, we'll see how uh, we'll see how I feel um, uh, after being back in the States
0: I will say that I mean they I think have gotten much better like I think they realized that sending people off on naked propaganda trips which is basically which is unquestionably what it was at the beginning backfires in some cases because the trip I got in 2000 was much more just naked propaganda. And they were, and it was, and our bus was Yale students and Emory students. And we were pretty shrewd cats. And um, the, um, and of course, the other thing is, I'll just say that the tour guide who has, was this old salty grizzled, you know, you know, Sabra former, (laughs) he was like a 70 ish Israeli guy. he He would listen to our, you know, 45-year-old American Hillel rabbi who was from Atlanta talking, you know, just giving the Hundred percent whitewashed version, and the, the Israeli gonna be like, "What is this? <laughs> like, this is like of, what country is this?" Of course, we shot them no. through the temple, like so I, it didn't yeah. work at all. And I think it sounds like I mean, if the OU is giving you a somewhat more nuanced version, or see that actually makes me sad. Like, I would like the trips to be like a hundred times
2: more naked. Like, you you land, and like you immediately get like a gun and like a pita with a falafel, and there's like like music, <laughs> music blaring, and you run on the hill. Like, it should I be get, like an overwhelming. I, I think it's closer to the Fagnerian sensory. I overload. also
1: It is a sensory overload. And don't you feel like for like the, af- the aftermath of Birthright, you're like, first of all, where do I go? No one's telling me what to do and where to be in like 10 minutes. No, no, no. no.
4: I know where to go because I reached out to our listeners and I met like yeah. half a dozen people who love the show. That's amazing. And who like, they love you But
1: guys. I, I mean, our tour direct, our tour guide was Yoav, Yoav Brook. I think probably people listening to him, he's amazing. He's unbelievable. He like we all became Facebook friends with him. And then three weeks later, we're like, wait, he has all new, all new pictures of people who are obsessed with him. Like I thought he was ours, but he told us he, he went from a very right wing when we were sort of learning about, um, the Rabin murder. He was, he told us that he sort of was part of a right wing not group. like he was, his, how his ideology changed and how militant, militant right wing he was and how he sort of went far to the left. And so that to me was a level of nuance. I don't know that anyone uh, other than us, like I, the yeah. journalists there n- notice.
2: I would like to make a, it, not not a suggestion, so much uh, as a an, an announcement, or a de- or a hostage demand. <laughs> okay, uh, and if if the people paying for birthright are listening, uh, listen closely here. There needs to be an an orthodox birthright. In oh, which we yes. will guide our fans. <laughs> we will select a busload of American that would fans. Be amazing.
0: How about just? Will, will you show us the banks that your father robbed? Like will we we could do some. Can of we that. get some ATMs up? And at Ronnie's? Could, we could
2: we could do firearms. We okay. could do a lot of alcohol. It's going to be amazing.
0: Um, what was the highlight, Noah? Mm. Noach. Maybe uh,
4: uh, Mitzpe Ramon. <laughs>
2: Uh, uh, uh,
0: uh, <laughs> uh, what is uh,
4: this is like Why the do you giant all have
0: french accents and... <speaking in Spanish> que
4: mitzbyramon? Mitzbyramon? this is like the giant crater uh in the negev and it's this like little hippie town with apparently five thousand people live there right. i saw about 12 of them and, with and the new they 5, have a five thousand dollar a night hotel i was in like this hostel where you are not allowed to use the kitchen, and uh, there is a community radio station there, like this tiny little internet radio station, and they want to um, uh, syndicate uh, unorthodox. They, <laughs> they want they to want sy- syndicate unorthodox.
1: I love that idea. They can also, syndicate unorthodox. Was this the, the hotel that didn't let Jews use the kitchen <laughs> in Sweden? <laughs> that's a big side. Jewish guests, please do not As use a the Jew
4: kitchen. who could not use the kitchen, I felt, yeah. triggered. Uh, Noah, it's good to have you back. It is good to be back. See right. you guys. Thanks, Noah.
0: was uns nur endtragische was
1: Our Gentile of the Week is a very special Gentile. His name is Torsten Wagner, and he is the academic director of FASPI Fellowships at Auschwitz for the Study of Professional Ethics. He is a German-Danish historian born and raised in Sonderberg, Denmark, and he served as an educator at the Jewish Museum of Berlin and a research fellow at the Danish Center for Holocaust and Genocide Studies. Torsten, welcome. Thank you. So... I'm actually very familiar with the FASB fellowships. I did a program through the Auschwitz Jewish Center when I was in graduate school, so I and that at that point. They were sort of the programs right. were linked. Um, FASB is a fascinating program. Um, will you tell us a little bit about it?
5: Absolutely. FASB by now is about seven, eight years old, uh, and it goes back to a very simple question: that was, uh, what do we do with this history? It was started by um, concerned. Uh, people from the profession, David Goldman, who's a lawyer from New York, who for some time had worked already with cadets and also tried to think about how to do kind of Holocaust education in that field, but realized who we really should try to work with would be students who are a little bit older, uh, who are about in professional school. Uh, and the idea was, can we try to find a way to think about the implications of the history of the Holocaust for our time today?
2: So before we even c- continue, I- I'd like to ask you, to Try to, to recall your first trip. You know, I, it's probably what, like the 90s, you know, you're visiting Auschwitz for the first time. What was that like?
5: Um, that was pre Um I went there for the first time, I want to say 95, 96. I was a graduate student. I went with a group of other fellow students. Most of us who went either had, as non-Jews, decided to specialize in the field of Jewish history, Holocaust studies, or related topics. But now we came to the memorial site, the Museum of Auschwitz, and at that point of time, we encountered a um, fairly Polish perspective on the site as a site of Polish martyrdom, and also talking about the history of the Holocaust, of course. And we, as non-Jewish Germans, started to walk around and be annoyed by, by that. Kind of started to criticize that. Were kind of Stettler and Waldorf like in the background, mumbling <laughs> about the problematic and so on. And eventually, one of my stu- f- close friends um, turned around to us and said, "Are we realizing what we're doing right now? We, as the grandchildren of the murderers, are telling the poles how to use the site and to deal with that site." And that was kind of a moment of, of revelation: how self-righteous and problematic our whole approach had been.
1: So, the fast speed trips are for law students, journalists, medical students, um, business school students. Or these people who are very familiar with the Holocaust—they're obviously not all. Jewish people, um, like, are they, have they been to camps before? What are sort of the range of experiences that you've seen?
5: We very much um, encounter people who are overwhelmed, emotionally, intellectually overwhelmed by these sites, but also hungry to learn, understand more. And of course, we are also very much thinking, and that's what we want. Where does this put me? We try to encourage people to think about our own potentials to do evil or to, in one way or the other, become perpetrators. And I think that's very important. Um, That's the most powerful learning moment, I think, for FASB when we all allow that question to to be raised, so to move from uh, the compassion and the understanding and the memory of the victims, which has its own legitimacy uh, of itself, of course, to the point about um, the role
1: of the perpetrators. It's it's fascinating because one of the things that is distinctive about the program is, as you say, it doesn't focus on the victims, and it almost it, it focuses on you know the perpetrators, the enablers. It's almost it's like sort of what you were thinking at that first trip to Auschwitz when you were a graduate student that it's that yeah. the sort of like one note victim only narrative is not is not as helpful as it could be.
2: So let me ask you this here in in the year of our lord 2017 there there are quite a, a few conversations going on in this country about memorials and how to do them right you're you're a professional in this field what makes uh, a, a a memorial to something as you know monumental as the holocaust impactful or effective uh, or or another way of asking this question how, how do you not make a good memorial what what are the guidelines and what are some things to avoid
5: i live uh, in Berlin from the early 90s until approximately 2010. So as a graduate student and also as a young uh, professor at university, I uh, lived through these years uh, endless discussions of um, if and how to build the Holocaust moral in Berlin. What I miss in the American discussion and what I think that in a painful way Germany had to go through is to try to find ways to, so to speak, break the spell and question, um, the message, uh, of specific monuments and memorials. So that it's not always a question of taking them away, but actually trying to find ways to keep them as a way to remind ourselves that this is what we once built, but at the same time also create a new perspective on it and, uh, sort of undermine its uh, former message.
1: So you split your time um, between Copenhagen and New York. I'm so curious because in Europe there are, you know, the the bulk of the of the people who have taken on, you know, the brunt of the the work of Holocaust memorial and Holocaust history and Jewish history are are non Jews, um, in in sort of various countries. So is there any sort of stigma attached to the work that you do today?
5: That's a good question. Um, I think that over the years I encounter less and less of. Um of a stigma or a questioning and a lot of curiosity uh, right, did, did you end up in that and, uh, but more of an acceptance also um, if I look back over my years uh, um, in the 90s and early 2000s in that field there were moments where people would ask or even for a moment think and assume I would be Jewish and then at some point of time say things like yeah it's kind of annoying you know first these Germans uh, murder our people and then afterwards they steal our culture uh, so there was a certain resentment, and uh, those are sentences that I've, that I've encountered in these different situations. You mean
0: it was Jews uh, saying, who are these Germans to be running all of our memorials, basically? Can you believe
2: all these Wagners
0: coming in? and <laughs>
5: <laughs> Exactly. Uh, not so much the memorials. I think there's one difference to be made here. Or like one the Klezmer
0: scene in East Berlin? I mean, what were they, what were they upset exactly. about?
5: That, that, I mean, the sentence that I'm quoting was from an encounter with uh, a scholar of Jewish studies. Um, and obviously there's a difference between that and this whole, what Ruth Ellen Gruber has called this kind of virtually Jewish uh, scene that has been going on in Europe for the last 10, 20 years. And then the third factor is, of course, the whole aspect of commemoration and and kind of dealing with memory and history. I would not all blend it together because there are different perspectives, and I would also say it kind of makes sense that non-Jewish Germans and non-Jewish Europeans um, step up to the plate and say, we are the ones who need to think about uh, how we want to give room to the memory of the Holocaust and uh, the other crimes that Europe has been um, committing uh, in the course of the 20th century, uh, and how do we somehow want to go from here and use this history to to create a society for the 21st century. I think that kind of makes sense. What I started out talking about was more this aspect that also is part of my biography, and that is, of course, that you as a non-Jew suddenly become visible and uh, a participant in, uh, in the scholarship of Jewish studies or you just move in a, a, a Jewish world.
1: And it should come as no surprise to anyone listening, I think, that you actually married a Jewish woman.
5: That, yeah. that <laughs> makes things even more complicated, but
1: uh, yes. I would actually think that makes things
0: a little bit easier. It's like you gave it the yeah, office. Like, did. who's going who's gonna to question, <laughs> yeah. who's going to say that this is some sort of weird Orientalism on your part? It's like, yeah, you know, you, you your daughter's Jewish, yeah. right? Yeah,
5: yeah. yeah. Exactly.
0: You and I are fellow fathers of Jewish daughters.
5: There you go. There you go.
1: Torsten, thank you so much for, for being with us. How do people sign up for a FASB program?
0: Oh, you can't just sign up, can you? Don't you have to be sorry, recommended? Sorry, sorry. Let's do that, Let's do that again. <laughs> One do simply again. doesn't walk into Auschwitz. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> okay. Torsten, you get on a special
1: transport. They
0: chauffeur you there.
1: Torsten, we actually... Um, our, our producer Shira went on a FASB program with you, and Mark Oppenheimer yes. wrote her recommendation for the program. So <laughs>
2: you're welcome. So and if Mark other will people, anyone's recommendation, that's yes. Right. If other
1: people want to apply for a FASB fellowship, um, how how would they go about doing that?
5: Absolutely, they should check out our webpage. You will, I mean, you can Google FASB, F A S P E. Right now, it's FASB.info. Uh, that you'll probably easiest way to find it. There are the application forms that uh, soon will come up for the next year. The way that it works is that, let's say, 70 people go, but uh, close to 1,000 apply. So not everybody can sign up. That's correct.
0: Here's the moment where I say I've never been to Auschwitz. Can I, can I get one? Like, are my odds good if I apply? Absolutely. Okay, there we go.
1: I, we know a guy. <laughs>
0: we know a guy. I'll be referring myself. <laughs> Torsten, thank you, Torsten. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right.
5: My pleasure. Thank you very much.
3: Bye-bye.
4: Can't wait to see everyone. Can't wait to sing in the sun. You know I'm ready.
3: getting married this weekend what are you doing here today that is a good
1: question i'm asking that i've been asking that myself for like the last hour Okay. Okay. Our Jew of the week. I'm so excited uh, about our Jewish guest this week. It's Brooke Kroger. She directs uh, NYU Journalism's Graduate Global and Joint Program Studies. Um, or
0: as I just heard her called, it, Glo-Jo. Glojo. And I Glo-Jo. actually was
1: a part of Glojo. You and Glojo? Yeah. Yes. Under uh, under Brooke's tutelage. Um. So I'm obviously very nervous right now. Um. Her latest book is the Suffragents: How Women Use Men to Get the Vote. So who were the Suffragents?
3: The Suffragents is just a, a nickname that the British came up with. Uh, as it really started in Britain and Holland and around 1907 or 1908. But New York was really the great force of men who organized to help women get the vote. It's the one time in history that men put themselves together as an organized force to right a huge social wrong that involved women. So uh, the men
2: got together organized to do anything but play sports or go to war. So is is there like a a, a profile encourage like a, a prototypical person who who would have joined or is it all over the board?
3: Pro- progressives. They were all progressives. That was the common denominator, but they were Republicans, Democrats, socialists, independents, largely motivated by wives, mothers, sisters, lovers who were deeply involved in the movement.
1: So but there was a class dis- you know, a distinction of these people. They were sort of of the... Initially, but
3: that was strategic. Of the weight. Of the... Of the upper like, class. Of, no, of, of, like, of the upper class. But that was very strategic and intentional. Oswald Garrison Villard, do you remember who he was? He was the editor of... The, the Nation, York, right? The New York Evening Post and The Nation, correct?
2: The unimprovably oh my, named I feel like I'm back gentleman. in school. I love this. He
3: <laughs> yeah. contacted Anna Shaw, who was the president of the National American Women's Suffrage Association known as NASA. And she she actually had contacted him asking him to speak at a a convention in Buffalo. And of course, he said, no, no, I can't possibly prepare a speech. I'm taxed to the limit of my strength, which is, of course, what women often heard from important men who Mm, could be useful. So busy. So busy. He said, but what if we organized a men's organization, a club? And she came back and said, well, the men who could really be helpful to us are never willing to come forward. So he came back and said, no, no, no. I think I could put together a really long list of prominent men who would be of service. And, of course, his idea of service was lending their names and trotting up to Albany whenever necessary to talk to legislators and the governor. So she thought about it. She went back to her crew and came back and said, okay, and you'll love this. We'll do all the work, of course. And to his credit, he came back and said, no, it will be much more effective if we organize independently with our own administration. How did how did you know about him?
0: And I, well, I know you know about him, but how did you know about the suffragents? since they'd never gotten more than a paragraph anywhere? And, or a page.
3: Or, yeah. The men were the voters. The men were the legislators. They needed men's help. They must have had it. So I went to look, and of course, I ran into all those paragraphs, everyone almost identical from the same source, roughly. It was Max Eastman's account of how the League was founded, because he became the first secretary, while a student at Columbia in the philosophy department under John Dewey, who was another founder of the League, along with Rabbi uh, Stephen Wise. and, And they were kind of the group with George Foster Peabody, who became the financial mainstay. It's a pretty heavy And then it turned
0: out that there were papers on them, that they'd all left papers, and that there
1: was resources. Were there women in the movement who sort of chafed at the idea that they they kind of did need men to, to get this through the finish line?
3: Certainly in the organized movement, they did not chafe. They were so delighted to have the help because they needed it. When the men were engaged, they took their cues from the women. They did things when asked. At the very, very end, when the celebration happens. Now, we're talking about the New York State campaign. Remember, there were two parallel campaigns in all of the states or as many states were in a position to run a campaign. Right. And then later, the federal, but the two campaigns were happening in parallel in those last years. Uh, at the very end, New York wins. Finally, having lost in 1915, it gets passed in 1917. The New York Times is so hostile and negative about the whole thing. It's kind of another interesting little side story. And they thank Laidlaw as you know the exemplar of his time, his money, his his effort, etc. And when he says a few words in response, he. Celebrates the women much as he does in this statement, and then he says, "We men too have learned something. We have learned to be auxiliaries."
0: I have to say, I want to join some clubs that are like progressive clubs for only men of but a I certain like this social idea
1: class. That these men, these men it's did called it. The
0: National Rifle Association. <laughs> yeah, <that's
1: Jeez. laughs> These men did it. They didn't really expect so much credit for it, which is something that's different today. And then they all sort of forgot about it. It was they, just they like They clearly blip.
3: didn't take credit. The only thing that appears in the memoirs over and over again. I mean, obviously Eastman mentions it because he was the secretary and he wrote about it, so he plops in his 1913 story into his memoir basically word for word. But Generally, even Villard never takes credit, never says a word. The only thing everyone talks about is the 1911 parade, where 89 of them marched. None of the society dames would march. I mean, they was just far too undignified. But the men marched, 89 of them, in their fedoras and their top hats, and they were Pelted with insults, catcalls, brickbats—you can imagine from the top of the Union Club, everyone staring down on Fifth Avenue, laughing at their colleagues, and
2: they're wearing T-shirt that says "The Future is Female" and no, like, no, really no. meaning it, not ironically. <laughs> no, no, yeah. no, no.
3: They did have a big men's league banner, uh, and it, it, you know, there's a story that Villard was carrying one by mistake that said, you know, "What are you going to do for me?" You know, or something like that. I can't remember it exactly, but pretty funny. Um, but what it did was it galvanized them. You know, it didn't they were just important enough that they could make that work.
1: So when I was one of your grad students, did you ever just like, um, when you saw me, you were like, one day I will be on her, a guest with my latest book on her Jewish podcast. (laughs) I,
3: I, I, I didn't have that feeling, but I have to tell you how interesting it is to pitch a story to your former students or to have them call on you to do something. It's, moving
1: it's how you know you're doing it's something moving. right it's very moving so do you like Yay. to grade
2: this performance from all of us? i
1: know i oh like God. listening to you talk it's very calm it's like the same way we would you would talk like <laughs> yeah. f- it's my graduate my
0: graduate advisor donated to our fundraising campaign
3: that's nice hit him up just,
0: I'm, yeah i'm just Anytime saying people some, some come leo, on as guests some it. give 50 bucks they all leo where's todd gitlin and all the where's your graduate advisor in all this
2: uh, my academic career lies in shambles <laughs> <laughs>
1: Brooke, thank you so much. Um, I would highly recommend The Suffragents. It's, it's, it's very current, very, very topical. It's more topical than I thought it would be yeah, when I wrote it. Yeah, it's scarily topical. And I'm glad about that. Thank you so much for being here, Brooke. Thanks, Thanks Brooke. Thanks thank you, thank you.
3: We're clearly soldiers in petty coats and dauntless crusaders for women's votes. Though we adore men in we agree
0: that as a group, they're rather stupid. Okay, to the mailbox. We have some really good letters piled up. Here's what we got this week. Hi, Unorthodox. Last week, you asked our summer trips to Vermont, birthright trips for wasps. This was obviously a few weeks ago. <clears throat> He writes, for wealthy white Anglo-Saxon Protestants from Massachusetts who don't like the Cape or Maine, yes. What's more interesting for us as Jews are weekend winter cross-country skiing trips to Vermont. Cross-country skiing is popular among WASPs and modern Orthodox Jews throughout New England. On Sundays with clear skies in January and February, more than half the families at cross-country ski areas in Vermont are WASPs and modern Orthodox Jews. Everybody gets along. Some of the lodges have bagels and lox at breakfast as well as bacon and eggs. Joel Friedland.
2: So the modern Orthodox do cross ski, and then the conservative and reform do down downhill. Slow, yeah, downhill, yeah, downhill. Yeah. yeah, I was
0: so that was my question, which was I modern Orthodox and cross country skiing. So I have a very and good constructionist bobsled.
1: Why cross country
0: skiing? My Lubavitcher friend goes downhill, but.
1: Our art director, Esther, is from Australia, from like a Chabad family there. And they do like skiing trips every year. They go to Whistler. like So so to me, that idea of just like the ski trip. Interesting. And he has this like amazing beard and the ski suit. Like it's great. But
0: they're downhill skiers. Like what's interesting to me is the specific New England modern orthodox cross-country skiing. To me, cross-country
1: skiing is very like non-Jewish because you just like get nowhere. Like I think we need – like it's just to me – It's like
0: rock climbing. It's just rigor for the sake of rigor. It's
1: just like like that
0: sport. I don't even know what
2: it's called where you're like – Cross-country skiing and you stop and shoot things? That's what is the biathlon.
0: That? Isn't that the modern biathla- the I biathlon? The biathlon. of love that. It's cross-country skiing plus shooting. I could see myself doing yeah. that. Hi, all. I'm pleased Liel is going to cut back on the F word. In that spirit, I would like to request that Stephanie try to cut back on using the word like. Use of this word can become a bad habit, one that I personally had to overcome. We all started using it due to the Valley Girl phase several years ago, and I really wish it would die out. When I hear like, it's really like... I cringe. I don't want to end this without saying that I love your show and congratulations on 100 episodes. Shalom, Kathleen Valley Stein. He,
1: wait, Valley is her actual name? It seems to be her middle okay, name. Okay, so here's She's what I say. She's an
0: actual Valley girl. That's
2: right. Here
1: is what I have to say. I will not because I've reached the unusual situation of being in a professional environment where I actually am free to speak how I want to speak and how I naturally speak. And to me and John McWhorter, the, he the linguist, he says like is Okay. I think to me, I want to see it as, like, as a flourish on the way I speak. I don't know. I'm, I'm sick of being told. Like, of just Can I idea. say,
2: for yeah. I want to be the suffragent who stands up the for su- the, the word the like, like
1: the, yeah, the speak like,
2: however the for the valley, you'd like the to valley speak. Gent.
1: No, I just feel like, <laughs> I just feel like, you know what? I'm I, I don't when we tell women we we, we police women's speech um, in a way that we don't police men's speech the idea of up talk of vocal fry that's all women targeted and I'm just like I'm done to be that's fair 100% correct.
0: to be fair as someone who's in the English teacher guild uh boys say like all the time and get correct. But this kind of person, I think Kathleen Valley Stein, wherever she is, and we love you, Kathleen, and thank no, you I for love being listener. I think she correct boys well. I don't as well. like her I, I don't think, her. I don't think there's as much sexism in this particular thing as you think there is because boys say like all the time and get corrected That's for right, it.
2: That's right, but the vocal but not fry. This, yeah, there's and, and, no sexism there's,
1: there's in this whole, letter. I right, appreciate the right. letter, but I think that there's a way in which we target young women in a professional environment for the way they speak. Well, yeah. And you know what? I'm just yeah. like on this bomb-ass podcast and I can talk how I want. And like, that's awesome. Power to the
0: people. Uh, here's someone who thinks we're bomb-ass. Hey, Unorthodox. I've realized that considering everyone has personality favorites of you guys, all three of you also need fandom names. People who love Stephanie are obviously the buttnecks, like beatnecks. Like with butt- no C?
1: Yeah. Oh, that's like
0: um, how it originally was. Mark's people are Mobbenheimers. Oh, I like that. <laughs> and what Liel's about- are lieb the one, no. and then she says the one that admittedly needs some work. Like she's not the there. Liba, no. The Leva right. witches. The Leva I don't know. This is from a longtime listener, Alyssa Reiner. Thanks, Alyssa. We'll we'll work on. I mean, Alyssa we're still Reiner. On J. Crew basically
1: know. shares a name with Alicia Reiner, that that Jewish actress. Alessia Reiner. She's on Orange Is the New Black. She's Fig. So every time I see Aly- Alyssa Reiner's name, I'm like, Hey, I like hey, you.
2: Um, Who would my what what would
0: my f- fan mob be? What would, okay l- listeners send this into
2: the liels
1: the liel no it has, it has the elites i think, my fan, the the, elite. I think the, my fan
0: mob is the elite i think that my fan mom is the marxists with a K. Hey, Mar- the marx with the hey the blobenheimer uh, as a whole the blobenheimer yes it's like a big mass <laughs> noun here's another one mark stephanie and liel we will definitely be donating to unorthodox just so you know my husband and i are another couple who listen while snuggling in bed heather chris
1: that is amazing hello that actually is ben cohen's nightmare of listening to unorthodox like in any any horizontal situation with me
0: now here's my favorite letter of the week hey unorthodox (laughs) as a longtime listener i've been meaning to email you regarding my shared last name with mark my grandfather were he alive today would be mightily pissed at what i'm about to reveal until the day he died grandpa was paranoid he was going to be arrested for lying on his immigration forms and worried that he would be deported after the war He was stuck in a DP camp while trying to emigrate to the US, but the Hungarian Jewish quota was already full, but the German Jewish quota had space. So my grandfather got another set of fake papers and changed his name from Goldberger to Oppenheimer, thus transforming himself into a dignified German from a lowly Magyar. And he was able to get into the US of A. Best, Dave Oppenheimer.
1: That's amazing. So
0: sneaking into the United States is the old version of sneaking into the movies. (laughs) (laughs) A couple live shows coming up, although not. Not for you guys, just, just for me. September 16th, I'll be speaking at Barnard Temple for their Slichot service in Franklin Lakes, New Jersey. Uh, I think that's open to the public. I think a temple's not going to turn away anyone who wants to see me speak. What are you going to talk about? Um, Jews. Jews, you know. know <laughs> yeah, Jews. Um, and October 18th, I'll be giving a public lecture at West Virginia University, which I'm very excited about. But that's been in the works a long time. Uh, our fundraiser's over. We got about 30,000 out of the 50,000 we were going for. And that's That's amazing. That's amazing. Last year we got 11,000. And this year we got 30. And I just want to say thank you. If you wanted to give, we'll leave the site live. Yeah, I want to say our fundraising is never over. It's never over. The tote bags, we still got more tote bags. We still got more laptop stickers. And we still got more trios of books curated by us. And nobody took us up on the dinner with the three hosts at Russ and Daughters. Like, I'm not
1: mad. I'm just like, just disappointed. So Although I'm, like, I'm pretty happy
0: to say that uh, some people signed up for uh, for a lesson here. A study...
2: A study yeah, a lot with, of... With yours truly. We're doing a
1: lot of study sessions.
0: More people wanted the study session with Liel than wanted smoked fish with the three of us.
1: Or a trip... a to tour of, of Yale. No, a tour of Yale with Mark. Yeah. How many of those did you get?
0: I think... I, I think Molly Yeh is taking that one. I think one. Um, anyway, tabletmag.com Fun slash, thank
1: you notes coming in the mail.
0: Tabletmag.com slash donate is still live. The trios of books are... Forthcoming, but the point is, you guys delivered, and we'll be here it's for amazing. at least, at least a few so more loved. months. Yeah, so thank you. Um, some newsletter subscribers, uh, we deliver new newsletters this week. The, and by the way, sometimes we get asked, is the unorthodox newsletter the same thing as the tablet? No, newsletter?
1: totally different. Tablet Tablet has a, an email newsletter that goes out every morning that has all of Tablet's stories, um, and you could sign up for that very easily on it's very matter of fact, it yeah, it's delivers very serious. the, news. the, the unorthodox
0: news. newsletter, however. It's
1: just a wacky That
0: is not and it is now written by Liel Liebowitz. It is it's now... like it's from
1: your brain. <laughs> okay.
0: It's da- pictures. It's a data dump of Liel's twisted, sick That's right brain. There's like And some and some photos. There's some sci fi, some fantasy, us. some whiskey, some guns. Next yeah. next
2: week's letter will include candidates from You Know Who's Winning.
0: Oh yeah. Anyway, to learn more about Stephanie's Way to get the unorthodox newsletter, (laughs) like these people who have signed up in the last week, Benjamin McCormick, Monica DiLorenzo, Leo Katzman, and Rhonda Weinschelbaum. Liel, what do we know about Rhonda Weinschelbaum? You mean other than the fact that she
2: inspired the Beach Boys to write, Help Me Rhonda? (laughs) It was originally, Help Me Rhonda, Weinschelbaum, Help Me Rhonda, Weinschelbaum, but you know, they just cut it. Now, she knew Mike Love
0: from- She knew Brian. Oh, she knew Brian. She knew Brian
2: so They went to
1: Erasmus together.
0: <laughs> they, <laughs> Erasmus High School in yeah, Brooklyn? Yeah, that's where
1: everyone went. I have to say, shouts shout to Leo Katzman. He follows me on Instagram. He's a friend of Mindy and Ethan, the recently engaged that's Unorthodox right. Right. Oh, couple. Hey, that's
0: right.
2: That's he right.
1: Is a, he's actually a dog man.
2: Katzman is dog man. a dog man. He's a dog man.
0: Good for him. this, this world Good coming to. To get this newsletter, you want to sign up on our website at tabletmag.com or send an email asking for it. Please put newsletter in the uh, subject line to unorthodox at tabletmag.com. Be forewarned. We might uh, discuss your name on the air. Mazel tovs. I'll go first. Yeah, Lyle. Um, my mazel tov is to Anne Levine, who is a, a,
2: a listener of this program and a host of our own amazing show on my favorite public radio station W O M R, the voice of Cape W O M R W O M R W O M R W uh, O M R. I I was Cod. I was a guest on, on that on wow. her show this week, and it was an amazing amazing conversation, I- including you know bits of it. I-, I haven't listened yet, so I don't know what actually made it nothing uh, through. But but including a long <laughs> conversation about unorthodox. Oh wow! So you check out have. W-O-M-R. Um
0: Stephanie.
1: I have a mazel tov. My mazel tov always is sort of like for the people who reply to my Instagram stories. Like right now it's of Liel wearing this um, Golden, Golden girl shirt he got Who's in replying to that? But, but I actually got a really nice note last night from from someone in Honolulu saying that if I was going to be on Oahu for my honeymoon, she would love to teach us how to surf and, and hang out with us. Oh and my then God. she says, all the very best to you with Aloha, Maya Portner, Honolulu Jewess. And I said, I just wrote back to her to say, we're not actually, we're only going to be on Maui. But if there's anyone in Hawaii who, no, listen, who like wants should, me to go. hang out with them, yeah. also we're there for Rosh Hashanah. So if there's, I know there's a synagogue <laughs> that someone had emailed us about in Honolulu, but if there's anything on Maui that I also, should be doing...
0: Also, Honolulu Jewess is a new uh, and there's crime a, drama a winky coming face. from... It's a new crime drama on the uh, ABC From the, the team ABC that brought Network. you yeah. Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Okay. Uh, I have some really good Mazel tops this week. First of all, first of all, a big Mazel Tov to listener Michael Badain, Baden, Baden, Badain and his bride-to-be Jessica Friedman. They are about to get married and we could not be happier for them unless their names were Butnik and Cohen. Uh, so Mazel Tov to you. And then two two Oppenheimer Kirshner extended family Mashbucha Mazeltovs. My cousin Lee Kirshner uh, is being installed as the new president of Har Zion Synagogue outside Philadelphia. This is like one of the granddaddies of the conservative movement. I feel like movement. I got a
1: press release about that. You probably that did. Like, very familiar. Like Har Zion...
0: Philadelphia that is that is the mothership of Philadelphia conservative Judaism Lee Kirshner is now the big boss basically anywhere from the river to the sea if you need something in conservative Judaism call my cousin my first cousin Lee
2: and no one thought Lee Kirshner would win this election no one thought
0: because <laughs> he said you
2: know reformed Jews are like rapists and <laughs> build a wall around Philly and stuff but here he is the polling Lee. was bad it was
1: actually Build an Arab. Yeah. yeah
0: basically Nate Silver in 538 yeah. got the polling all built wrong Build an Arab. but but, but <laughs> in Lee, West Hampton Beach <laughs> The make the baptists pay for the of, and um if I dare if I may say even more important I have a new niece my brother Jonathan oh, I thought you were going
1: to be talking about me this time <laughs> am I getting no Mazel Tov this week okay fine new niece we're, New niece. don't news. worry
0: we'll, we'll get you Stephanie oh,
1: Mazel Tov on your wedding oh, my God, oh thank
4: yeah. you oh,
0: yeah. I'm gonna wait to make sure it happens we'll get the <laughs> ma- I'm saving the Mazel Tov for next week um uh my brother, Jonathan, and his wife, Britta, they had a baby girl. Matilda Jane. Oh, Matilda. I love that.
4: Matilda.
1: Matilda Jane Matilda Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer.
0: Matilda Jane Oppenheimer is creeping up on a week old as we tape this and couldn't be happier for Isaac to have a little sister.
1: As I've said before, filling out standardized test bubbles is going to be difficult for her. For Matilda that, with that Oppenheimer? Long, with that long name. Well, hey, look,
0: not as difficult as it was for Jonathan Oppenheimer. So. Joppenheimer? Joppenheimer. The love is passed on. Um, is
1: he? Are they? Are you Moppenheimer, Joppenheimer. Doppenheimer? We're, we're all Oppies. And yeah. Roppenheimer?
0: Well, she's Rara, anti Rara. Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine on the web at tabletmag.com. Write to us at unorthodox at tabletmag.com. We love the mail. Follow Stephanie on Instagram at S <laughs> Butnik. We are on Facebook a lot. Just follow Tablet Magazine. And I keep meaning to do more Facebook Live. You know what? Since Stephanie's not letting me give a toast at her wedding, <laughs> oh, I'm giving the toast, toast on Facebook, Facebook live. live. Yeah. Our executive producer is Alyssa Goldstein, and we are also produced by Shira Talushkin. Our artwork is by Esther Werdiger. Our show is edited by Noah Levinson, who thank God came back from Israel. We thought he was going to just live with so the though Our music is by Golem, Rabbinic Supervision by Cantor Shira Ginsberg, who, <gasps> who is was doing a very important wedding this weekend. She's uh, so awesome. Uh, I'm- kosher Slaughter. Is by North Korea. It, it really it is. We recorded Argo Studios still single after all these years but they might catch the bouquet. We're proud to be part of the Panoply Network Shalom Friends.